Hey, welcome. Welcome to church this morning. Everybody here in person and those who are watching, uh, welcome to church. Welcome to the, uh, the house of God. And, uh, you know, this week, just a lot of reasons to give God glory and, and give God praise. Tuesday, June 15th, uh, California as a state reopened, and that and we're not out of the woods yet, but it just shows us we are getting closer to the end of this pandemic. So we praise God for bringing us through uh, thus far. Yesterday was Juneteenth, federally recognized holiday as we celebrate and commemorate the end of slavery, which I believe as, as the church, we give glory to God for that. We give glory to God because not only does it bless the Father's heart, but it's only by His power that such chains can be broken. So we, we thank God for being a chain breaker. And then today, of course, as uh, Pastor James um, had us all recognize, we, we just thank God for our fathers and their good and godly examples that they show. So once, once more, can we honor our fathers and grandfathers in this place? Let's show them love and honor this morning. Thank you, fathers, for your presence in our lives and your presence in this church because that matters. Well, we kicked off a new series last week called The Great Revealer. And in the series, we're talking about some of the things that have been revealed to us through this pandemic and looking at the scriptures and seeing what the, uh, the scriptures say about these things that have been revealed. Uh, for me, I think I'll always associate uh, this pandemic with mountain biking. Not only because through COVID did I develop a passion for mountain biking, but because of what mountain biking and the pandemic reveal about confidence. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In mountain biking, when you ride a trail that you've never ridden before, we call that riding blind. You're riding that trail blind. Why? Because you've never seen it. You don't know what to expect. Um, and so we do three things. We do a pre-ride, a re-ride, and then a free ride. And so the pre-ride is your first time down a trail. You don't know what, what to expect, so you're just seeing what features are there. Are there rock gardens? Are there drops? Are there ledges? Is there exposure? But then when you do the re-ride, you already know what's there. So you're just getting comfortable now. You're, you're, you're getting acquainted with the trail. And then the free ride is when you could ride with great confidence because you've already seen it. You've been down it multiple times, even a few times by now. And so usually that's the ride where you could ride fast and freely down this, down, down this mountain. Well, I take those three things and I also apply it to looking for a new bike. So my friend had a bike that he wanted to sell, and I said, I said, let me try it out. And so I took it to this place called Santiago Oaks with many trails, and I did a pre-ride with the bike. Just wanted to get used to how it feels, the size of it, its brakes, suspension, and all that. And then on the re-ride, rode it again, kind of getting used to this thing, knowing what it can handle and what it can't. And then the free ride. The free ride was an absolute blast. Until it wasn't, right? Because on that last run, I mean, I had gone four uh, runs already by this time, and, and it felt good. I felt really confident on this bike. And so on that last ride down the mountain, I threw caution to the wind. I was blasting down this hill. I'm going as fast as I can, and my bike hits this rock. It blows my tire, and it throws me over the handlebar. And to spare you all the details, I'll tell you this. I had scraped knees bloody elbows, sprained wrists, and a severely injured ego. Like, it, it hurt so bad. It hurt so bad. And I realized that the pre-ride 
we could ride with caution, sometimes too much caution. And yet on the free ride, sometimes we ride with too much confidence. And overconfidence can have its consequence. And some of us, through this pandemic, we realize some things are being revealed. And maybe for us, we're realizing that this pandemic has showed that we, we get fairly confident. Maybe for you, before this whole thing happened, your business was stable. Your income was secure. Your family may have been solid and your, your health was sure. Your schedule was routine, right? Your vacations were all planned. Your wedding was all set. And then just like that, all of a sudden, a pandemic sets in. COVID comes. And we get blindsided by unforeseen circumstances that we can often find ourselves riding on our resources or on the coattails of success, things can change overnight. When COVID set in, some of us found that some business prospects were lost. Wedding venues were canceled. Your income became insecure. Your, your family maybe started fighting. Your health was all of a sudden at risk. And a lot of us were left in this pandemic wondering, like, where do we go from here? Like, what do we do now? What do we do now? Last week, Pastor Gary shared about how this pandemic have, has revealed comfort and how sometimes we can get so comfortable in our Christianity. And comfort can kill our faith if we're not careful. Well, today I want to share with you how this pandemic reveals to us truths about confidence. And confidence, I want to say, is not a bad thing. Confidence is a great thing. And confidence can be a terrible thing. I want to show you today the difference between overconfidence and humble confidence. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're going to be all day today. And before we uh, read this passage, I want to pray and ask the Lord to open up our hearts to the scriptures, okay? So would you join me? Let's pray. Father God, before we start, we, we just want to acknowledge, God, that you are king above all kings. God, you are Lord above all. Lord, you sit on the throne. You hold the universe in your hands, and you hold all truth in your hands. So we acknowledge who you are. Lord, we come before you, we ask that your spirit would speak to us this morning and you would show us that this story that was written thousands of years ago is still alive and active today. Lord, it's sharp, sharper than a two-edged sword, and I pray that you would reveal things in our lives, things that might be going on in our hearts, and that you would show us the way to fight battles. I pray, Lord, that uh, you, would, you would just really bring up specific situations in our lives and show us the power of your word in our lives, God. So right now, we want to give you our hearts and our minds, our full attention, Lord. There's many things that are going to want to distract us, but God, I pray that you would protect us from that and draw us into you. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I think uh, as a church, I think we can say with great confidence that we had a lot going for us before this pandemic. Right, we had a solid staff, we had a faithful congregation, growing influence, amazing resources, a great building to meet in, stable offering. Everything was pretty good. And, and after being a church for 27 years, I think we have a handle on things by now. And so 2020 was supposed to be a cruise. We're going to cruise into 2020. 
And 2020 was going to be the year of vision, right? That's what everybody was playing off of. 2020, the year of clear vision. That's what 2020 is. And yet we get blindsided just by March. Three months in, in March, things began to change so quickly. And I remember that one particular week in March. I remember it was a Tuesday after all our staff meetings. We had an impromptu meeting. And the question was asked, with COVID all over the news these days, what happens if one day we have to shut our doors and we have to close service for that weekend? Like, what do we do then? And so we had to talk through that and think through that. Well, the next day we gathered together again, Wednesday. Well, looks like we're closing our doors this weekend, right? NBA's closed down. A pandemic's been declared. No large gatherings. But we can still do prayer meetings and life group. So that's cool. Next day, Thursday, well, stay at home has been called, shelter in place, no gatherings at all, right? So we can't even have prayer meetings or life groups. And by the weekend, we were trying to learn on the fly how to record our services, how to stream services. We were getting really good at this thing we've never heard of called Zoom. And we're getting really good at it by Saturday. And all of a sudden, we're in this place. I remember these meetings we'd have. Emergency meetings, discussing as, as a staff, and asking the question, where do we go from here? Like, what do we do now? We just had no idea what to do. Well, Second Chronicles chapter 20 was a story that really resonated for us at the time, at the beginning of this pandemic. And it, in fact, our first online church-wide prayer meeting I shared a little devotional from 2 Chronicles chapter 20 because it spoke so loud. And I want to revisit that, bring you back to the story. And I want to show you how there's this king who had every reason to be confident in his kingdom. I mean, he had a great start to his reign. Like spiritually, he was a godly king. Got rid of all the Asherah poles, got rid of all the places of false worship. Socially, he was a loved king had great riches and, and wealth from all the people who just wanted to honor him because they loved him. Politically, he was a powerful king. He had military defenses, fortified defenses from the north. He had a strong army. And so King Jehoshaphat had a lot going for him, a lot to rest his confidence in. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 20, he gets hit with this news, and it fills him with fear. Right, because he gets message in those first few verses of Second Chronicles 20 that the Moabites and the Ammonites and people from the Meunites have come and allied together to attack. So I want to show you a picture of this map. Here's what's going on in the beginning of Second Chronicles 20. All that orange area is King Jehoshaphat and Judah. And everyone to the east of the Dead Sea, the Ammonites, Moabites, the Meunites, they cross over to attack. And not only are they coming to attack, the news he gets is, no, they're in your yard. They're in En Gedi already, and they're about to launch this full-on attack against you and your kingdom. And verse 3, it says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. Like, he's scared. And so at this point, it doesn't matter how much confidence Jehoshaphat had in the great things going for him. He realized, I need something even greater. I need something greater. And so how does he redirect his confidence. I want to show you four things this morning. And the first is this. If you want to write this down, if you're taking notes, write this down. He declared God's praise. 
He declared God's praise. Let me show you how. So we pick up 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 5 through 7 says this. It says, And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, here's his declaration, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations, and in your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And so what's he doing? He's declaring praise. Before even going into battle, Jehoshaphat makes this request. I mean, even before his request for help, he's declaring God's praise. He's acknowledging who God is. I love this example. Because there are going to be times when we're going to feel desperate. We're going to feel uncertain. We're going to feel in need. And I believe this right here is the best way to first approach God. Hands down. The best way, hands down, is to get your hands up. Before anything, before presenting your petitions, present your praise. Right? Because we might start to panic. And it might sound like, God... This pandemic is going to close our doors. How are we going to meet? How are we going to care for our people? How are we going to pay our bills? Or maybe your panic sounds like, God, my job is insecure. How am I going to care for my family? How am I going to pay the bills? Or maybe for you is, God, my parents are suffering. My mom's experiencing dementia, and I have to care for her now. God, my child is suffering. His stomach won't stop hurting. How do I care for him? God, my finals are overwhelming. My school seems impossible. How do I get through this? I want to say if you're panicking at any point, whether it's right now or in the future, when you panic, stop, pause, take a deep breath, and get your hands up. Like throw your hands up and just start praising. Start declaring his praise. Why? This is very practical wisdom right here. Why? Because when we praise, it's reminding us of this truth. It's reminding us of whose hands my life rests in. It's reminding, oh yeah, my life is in your hands. I can relax. When I first came on to the staff at this church, 2012, I first came on, and uh, that first year, Pastor James and I, we decided we we're going to go skydiving. And uh, so we decided we're going to jump 15,000 feet out of an airplane. And I've never done it before, but I heard from people who have that when they did it, they had to take like half day of instruction. They had to sit through a class for half the day. Some people said they had a full day of instruction, right? And to me, I ain't mad at that. I'm like, okay, like, yeah, because if I'm going to jump 15,000 feet out of the, the sky, like, I better know when to jump, how to jump, how to breathe, what to pull, when to pull, how to land, all, like I want to know all of that, so teach me. And so like we drive down to San Diego, we show up at this skydiving school, and we show up. Do you know how long our orientation was, our instructional class? Do you know how long that was? Five minutes. <laughs> Five minutes, no joke, maybe ten minutes. It was so short, and then they start giving us our packs, and like, get suited up, we're heading into the plane. But I'll tell you this, here's the truth. I wasn't scared. 
Like, I wasn't anxious. There was no fear in me. Why? Because in those five minutes, what they told us was that we were going to be bound to our instructors. Like, this was tandem skydiving. I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a difference. There's tandem skydiving where you're flying with your instructor, or there's solo skydiving where you're on your own. This is tandem. Praise God I'm not on my own. Right? So, like, all of a sudden, when I realize I'm going to be bound to my professional instructor, I'm released from this fear of the unknown. Why? Because you know when to sit and when to rise. You know when to jump and what to pull. You're familiar with all the ways of skydiving. You've done this a million times before. There are no surprises for you. So, yes, strap me to you. Right? So we go into this plane, and though we entered in to San Diego with fear and anxiety, we jumped out of that plane with comfort and confidence. I'll tell you, that was the most enjoyable 15,000 foot fall from the sky that I've ever experienced. Why? Because my life was in his hands. And I knew he knew what was going on. He knew what he was doing. I mean, he's the, the professional in the skies. King Jehoshaphat put his confidence not just in any professional, or the, the God of the skies. And he declares to God, God, aren't you the God of the heavens? Aren't you the ruler over all nations? Your might is mightier than the mightiest of kingdoms. That's who you are. And he starts reminding himself and praising God for who he is. So I want to encourage everybody, let's start there. Just like King Jehoshaphat, let's start there. And before we start to panic, throw your hands up and praise. Remember who he is. Stop and remember whose hands your life is in, because he's greater. Remember that he is greater than any pandemic. He's greater than any unforeseen circumstance. He's greater than any trial, any problem. He's greater than the mountains, and he's greater than the valleys. He is greater, and that's who we belong to. So we start by declaring praise. That's what Jehoshaphat did. What else did he do in this story? Well, here's the second thing he did to redirect his confidence Number two, he declared dependence. Write that down. He declared dependence. And I love this because July 4th is coming up in a few weeks. And that's the day we commemorate the Declaration of Independence. And I want to pray that today and tomorrow and every day of your life that you wake up in the morning and one of the first things you do is declare dependence. First thing you do is say, God, I need you. I realize that when you're faced with trials or challenges, unforeseen circumstances, worldwide pandemics, all these things can be blessings in disguise. When what? When it causes us to replace our confidence back into the Lord our God. That's a good thing. That's a blessing when we remember that nothing else can take care of me like God can. And so here, here's his declaration of dependence. In verse 9, he declares to God, Jehoshaphat says, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Saying, God, look, whatever comes my way, if I'm physically attacked by the sword, if I experience spiritual judgment, if I face p- 
pestilence, which is disease, plague, pandemic. He says, we're crying out to you because you heal and you save. We're dependent on you. He's declaring that, God, we're going to need you, whatever comes our way. And then I love this in verse 12. And this is it. This is the verse right here that really spoke and resonated during this pandemic. Verse 12, check this out. He declares, oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this horde that is coming against us. But here's, here's the line right here. Underline this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that. I'm going to read that again. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Do you know what just might be the three most beautiful words that could possibly come out of us? I don't know. I don't know. Why are those beautiful words? It's beautiful if it causes us to then say, I need God. I don't know. And so I need you. I need you, God. I can't do this without you. And I realized, you know, as, as we were going through this pandemic, more than any other year, at least me being on staff, I don't remember us meeting so often and so frequently trying to figure out what to do next, trying to decide what do we do, what do we say, where do we go. And so many times just kind of sitting around and concluding, we don't know. Like, we don't know. Everything seemed like a big guessing game. It's like we we're trying to guess for every big decision. Are people going to more likely participate in a recorded prayer meeting or a live Zoom prayer meeting? Are, 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 are people going to... Are people going to join us if we do a virtual lobby? Will they engage if we do a lobby after church, online, every service? Or should we just try one of them? Life groups, are they allowed to meet? Can they meet outside? And if they do, are we allowed to open up the bathrooms? Is that safe? Like, what do we do? When we open up the doors, how many services should we try? Who's going to come back? Is it going to be four services or three? Should we do two or one on Sunday? If it's just one, do we do nine or 11? Are people more likely to come in because they want to come early and, and start with church, or do they want to sleep in and they'll come at 11? What if we try 1030? Like, that's new. We've never done that. Will, will they come? Like, how are people going to think and act and respond? And what was so hard is, like, we had no data to go on. Like, none of us have been through a pandemic before. Right? Like, Nobody was able to come around the table and, and, and say, well, you know, the last time we had a worldwide pandemic and we had to shut the doors, this is how we led the church. Like, there was nobody to offer that experience. And then what made it even harder is we, we know that everybody's different. And everybody has their opinions, which are valued. And yet there's a spectrum where some people love that we're wearing masks and some people hate the mask. Some people are vaccine evangelists and some people are vaccine conspiracists. People are afraid for their health with, with COVID. Some people think COVID is a joke. And then everything in between. It's a whole spectrum, and there's people everywhere on the spectrum. And so many times we had to conclude, we don't know. We don't know. And I want to say that probably one of the best things that, that we could admit as your leaders is we don't know but our eyes are on you. 
our eyes are on you. Because we can get so confident in what we've always known and what we've always done, what's always worked. But anything that's going to cause us to say our eyes are on you is a good thing. We don't know, but our eyes are on you. And it brings me great comfort when I read this story and I see this king, probably the most, one of the most powerful kings of his day, gets into the situation where he feels utterly helpless and desperate, and he goes, I don't know. And yet this king wasn't overconfident in his kingdom, but he found humble confidence in his king, in his God. And so this king, Jehoshaphat, declares to the king of kings, and declares, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. He declared dependence. So what does he do next? So he declared God's praise. He declared God's, he declared dependence. Here's the third thing. Write this down. The third thing he does is he declared God's praise. He declared God's praise. Because how does this story turn out? What, what's the situation? Well, God sends this prophet to send some good news. This prophet named Jehaziel. And Jehaziel sends this message to Jehoshaphat in verse 15. He says this to him. He said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. So what's he assuring him? He says, the Lord says, don't worry. Put your confidence in God, for the battle belongs to the Lord. This is not your battle. This is God's. Relax. And when Jehoshaphat gets his message, he gets the message. And so how does he go through this battle? How does he go through this battle? I love how he goes through it. In verse 21, let me show you 20, 21. Chapter 20, verse 21. It says, and when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. That's a song. That's a battle hymn. They're literally singing and praising God. And so verse 22 says, and when they began to sing and praise the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. And that's the end of the battle right there. That's crazy. I love this. Did you notice what they did in 2021? They sang praises, like literally. This is not figurative. Like they got together, they formed a choir, and they start worshiping. And I love that before the battle began, what did they do? They declared God's praise. And as the battle ensued, what did they do? They declared God's praise. They just praised through this whole thing. And as their praise went up, God's power came down. Their praise goes up, God's power comes down. Their worship was literally their weapon of warfare. And by that praise going up, God sends this confusion among the enemies. They start attacking themselves. End of the story, Judah stands victorious, just as the Lord said, the battle belongs to the Lord. I love it. In the midst of battle, they declared praise. That's what 2021 says. That's what they did in 2021. I pray, church, 
that that's what we do in 2021. That that's what you do in 2021. That if we ever get out of this pandemic, you don't let your guards down because you, you might get hit with this unforeseen circumstance. You might find yourself fighting a new battle that you didn't see coming. Maybe it's a battle with your neighbor, battle with your boss, battle with your employee, employer, battle with your health, battle with yourself, battle with the lies in your head. And there's going to be a battle that comes your way. And I pray that in the midst of that battle, you get your hands up. And you just start praising. And this is, again, this is just practical wisdom. This is practical power. Why? Because when battles happen on this earth, we can get so caught up and so focused on this dire situation, this dark valley. I start to sulk in my insufficiencies. I start to wallow in my weakness. And so what do I do? I find things to try to put my trust in. So I'll put my trust in the stock market, which goes up and down. I'll try to put my trust in my friends who aren't always so loyal. I'll try to put trust in my position at work, which seems pretty fickle and unstable. So we're trying to put confidence and trust in all these things down here. But what does praise do? It causes us to lift up our voices. And when we lift up our voices, it lifts up our focus. When we lift up our hands, it makes us lift up our eyes and reminds us, oh, yeah. My confidence shall be in the Lord my God, whose hands my life is in. Oh, yeah, you're unmovable. You're unchangeable. You're not fickle. When everything down here can change from one day to the next, you're unchangeable. And my life is in your hands. Oh, yeah, my confidence is in you. And so I pray that when you go through your next battle, that like King Jehoshaphat, we would do what they did in 2021. That we too will sing the praises of the Lord and we would experience the power of the Lord come down. And that day they succeeded. They experienced victory in the Lord that day. I want to ask you, what do you do when you experience any kind of success, any kind of victory? When you pass that test, when you get that job promotion, when you beat that disease, how do you celebrate? I uh, went to this church before this church, my previous church. There were two congregations that met in the same church building. And um, we had same worship services, same worship times on Sunday. And I remember after our church ended, um, you know, we mingled, we had lunch, and then I was going to go home. And as I'm walking to my car, um, I pass by the sand lot, and I see that uh, these young adults were trying to get this car out of the sand. It got stuck. Because in that dirt lot, there's a sand volleyball court, and it backed up onto the sand as it tried to accelerate. It was just spinning the wheels and digging it deeper into the sand. And so these young adults are trying to help this young adult uh, lady get her car out, and it looked like they were having a hard time. It wasn't going anywhere. So I figured, hey, let, let me help them out. And so I put my Bible down, put my bag down, and I jump in, and I say, hey, guys, you guys need some help? 
And no, nobody responds to me. And I get it. They're like, I mean, this, they're frantic. This is like a crazy situation. They've been trying. And so I just jump in. I get behind the bumper with them. And, and I remember us trying to lift this car up. And we're trying to push it out. And we're trying all these different things. And all the while, it's a hot day. And, and all this sand's been kicked up onto me, all on my church clothes. And, and I'm sweating. And we're grunting. And we're heating. And we're hoeing. We're trying to get this car out of the sand. And finally, after a long while, after many attempts, we were able to free that car out of the sand. The owner of that car, they they all celebrate, they all hug each other. The owner gets in her car and she drives off. The rest of the young adults walk off. And I'm standing there and no one said a single word to me the entire time. No one acknowledged me, not even a simple thank you. I didn't get it. Like, I get, like, if I'm an angel and nobody saw me and I'm just here to help you, then I get that. But I ain't an angel. I don't care what my wife says. Like, I'm not, I'm not an angel. I'm just, she's never said that in her life. Uh, no, it's like, why didn't anybody care to turn and say thank you? What do you do when you experience any kind of accomplishment, any kind of success? You win any kind of battle in your life knowing that somebody helped you. How do you respond? And I ask that because I look at this story and King Jehoshaphat, they they won the battle that day. And look what Jehoshaphat and Judah does in verse 27 and 28. It says, then they returned. Every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, meaning he was leading the charge, returning to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord had made them Rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. What did they do? They declared God's praise. That's the fourth thing. Would you guys write that down? What what did they do in this situation? They declared God's praise. (laughs) Does he ever stop? Because before the battle, they praised. During the battle, they praised. After the battle, they turned back to give God praise. They just kept acknowledging God this whole time. They turned back and gave Him praise. And I love that because I'm reminded of the story in Luke chapter 17. Right? You know this story where there's 10 guys who are plagued with this terrible disease called leprosy. They start begging Jesus, Jesus, heal us. You're the only one who can. And so Jesus heals them. Then they run off, all healed. Nine of them run off, celebrating that they're free from this leprosy. They overcame this disease. And Jesus says only one out of the ten turned back. Only one turned back to say thank you. That day, nine ran off, healed from leprosy. But nine still had this terrible disease that they're plagued with called ingratitude. And ingratitude, I'm telling you, will cause major issues down the road. Ingratitude will bring major problems later on in life. I view preaching uh, these messages as spiritual battle. Like, to me, it's battle. It sure feels like it. And so with that in mind, every time I'm about to prepare a message, I'm bathing the thing in prayer. Like, I'm praying. Ask our Tuesday night prayer ministry when I submit my prayer request in the weeks I'm preaching. I'm saying pray for this message. Pray that God leads me, that his spirit speaks, that he he speaks to me. 
He gives me sensitivity. And as I'm preparing the message of the week, I'll, I'll stop in the middle and I'll just start praying. God, am I saying what's right? Is this where you want to go? Is this what's to be preached this week? Sometimes I'll, I'll get up from my desk and I'll just leave the building and I'll just start walking around this whole plaza just doing prayer walks. God, please be with me. Speak to me. Help me. Before I come to church, I get my, family, my, my kids surround me, my, my wife, my mom. My wife surrounds me, and they pray for me before I go off to church to preach. And by the time I'm done with three services, after the weekend, I, I feel like I just came off the battlefield. Like I feel, I, feel, I feel tired. I feel done. But I feel like, man, a sense of accomplishment. Like I want to celebrate. And I share that with you not to show off spirituality. That's not why I share that. In fact, I share this shamefully. To show my lack of humility. Why? See, because can I confess what oftentimes is my first thought when I finish preaching three messages and I get home, when I get off the battlefield? <laughs> this, is, this is honest. Sometimes my first thought is I deserve a city slicker barbecue bacon cheeseburger from Burger City Girl. No joke. And overcooked fries. Well done fries. And though I'm trying to wean off of Diet Coke, I deserve me a large Diet Coke today. Because we just went to battle. And I trust that lives were changed. Hearts were transformed. People were impacted. And I deserve a good lunch. And if not for lunch, then my dinner better be good. And then the next day, on the, day, on the weeks that I preach, on Monday is my day off. Like, I'm likely to say, hey, I deserve a good long surf session. Or I'm more willing to drive far to an epic mountain bike ride because I, I, I did it. I, I'm done. And I'm convicted in this story because it's so ironic to me that my first thought after getting off the battlefield isn't to turn back and praise. That's not my first thought. It's as if I jump back into my car and I take off without giving thanks to the person who just helped me. It's crazy that, that as I'm preparing messages, I'm begging God, I'm acknowledging God, God, lead me, speak to me, help me. And then when the battle is over, what's my attitude? I did it. I deserve a hamburger. As if this were my thing, my effort, my strength, when it should be God, you did it. You did this. You fought the battle. If any hearts were changed, you changed their hearts. If any lives impacted, you impacted. You deserve all glory and praise. Second Chronicles 20 convicts me to repent from, I deserve reward. To God, you deserve my praise. You deserve my praise. How do you respond when you come through, do you see that the Lord brought you through? This is so important. Why is turning back to pray so necessary? It's necessary because it prevents us from overconfidence in oneself. Overconfidence in ourselves. Where we feel like we beat it. We had the strength. We pushed through. We had the knowledge. We had the understanding. We won the battle. And yet thankfulness and turning back to the Lord to give praise produces this humble confidence. No, God, you did it. God, you did it. So I will again put my trust in you. 
I will again put my confidence in you for the next battle, for the next trial, for the next valley. You did it before. I believe I'll see you do it again. And thankfulness from past battles give us, gives us humble confidence for future battles. And turning back to praise reminds us that if he did it before, he'll do it again. And so, church, my prayer is that we'll never become too confident in anything or anyone other than the Lord our God. And I pray that the next time you're hit with something that you didn't see coming, or you're found in the valley, or you're in the darkness, I pray that, like King Jehoshaphat, we would respond appropriately, that we would declare God's praise, declare dependence, declare God's praise, declare God's praise. Don't stop praising. Amen? Amen. Would you guys bow your heads with me? And so, Lord, we want to just throw our hands up and we declare, God, you are greater. And with our hands up, God, we just want to say hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when things are just not what we anticipated, when things are difficult and we don't know what to do, we want to say hallelujah anyway. And praise you because you are still on the throne. I pray that with every blessing you pour out, God, we would turn back to praise. And even when the darkness closes in, that our hearts would still be able to sing, blessed be your name. Praise be to the Lord our God. Thank you that our lives are in your hands. And so, Lord, it is with that deep thankfulness we want to praise you. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so we want to use everything in our lungs, everything in our being, everything in our heart to worship you now, God. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is why we sing. It's in Jesus' name we praise. Amen.